Welcome to the Untold Story podcast. Today, I am very happy to have with us a friend and colleague for many years, Charles Payne. He has just written a new book called Unbreakable Investor, Build the American Dream in Any Economic Cycle. Charles, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. So, Charles, I want to talk to you about a lot of things. Obviously, the geopolitical situation is very significant at the moment with everything that's going on in Israel and the prospect that it could spread further. And I want to ask you all about that. But I always like to begin these podcasts with giving you a chance to sort of share, because a lot of people have been watching you for years, but they might not know about your background. So give us a little sense of of where you come from and what your frame of reference is for looking at the economy and the world. All right. Well, it's a great question. <laughs> I I, I got to start with childhood, right? Like everybody else. So, Martha, I had two childhoods. I was born in New York, and my father joined the army right 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 as I was being born. And um, so, I was an army brat for twelve years, the first twelve years of my life, and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, just every year we moved, um, which I loved. And I don't have any childhood friends, but I know how to make friends quickly. And you know, it's like. You run into people like, oh, I know Bobby since third grade. I'm a little jealous, but, um, you know, moving from place to place, you learn how to make friends really fast. And that's been something that served me well as an adult. Uh, And again, you know, we moved every single year, New York, Pittsburgh, Texas, Germany, back to New York, back to Pittsburgh, uh, Okinawa, Japan, Texas, Alabama, North Carolina, Virginia. One day I'd come home from school in Virginia and my mom said, we're leaving. So, you know, her and my father had been having problems and, um, so me and my mother, my two younger brothers got on a uh, bus, Greyhound bus with no money. We were from this beautiful lifestyle, two story house. You know, we had a Brady Bunch like staircase, never locked the doors, played all day. It was really, to be quite honest with you, sort of an oasis. It, it, the army bases in the 60s and 70s certainly didn't reflect a lot of America, a lot of the turmoil that was going on in America. We were shielding in so many ways. And uh, we got to New York, we got to Harlem, which at that time, was uh, the poorest, most dangerous neighborhood in America. And the culture shock was immediate, Martha. I mean, just from the first time taking a train, a subway train, right? The old iron horse. And these back in the 70s, they were still running some 50 trains. So they were really heavy in iron and made this noise. And, of course, it was the graffiti. And, you know, walking out in these tall buildings. Uh, and then, Did your mom have family there, Charles? Oh, Is that right. why she took you guys there? Yeah, she lived there before. And she had some friends there, one friend who said we could stay with her. So, uh, you know, I'll never forget, we walked out 145th Street, St. Nick, and uh, everything just hit me. The buildings, the environment, the traffic, but the music, the music, Martha, I never, I mean, listen, I was rocking Elton John, Philadelphia Freedom, but I never heard Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes, like, what the heck is going on, right? <laughs> and it's coming from everywhere. It's coming from windows. It's coming from boom boxes. It's coming from every car that passes by. The energy was amazing. It was electric. Uh, you know, we walked down the hill. The first time I ever saw two girls double Dutch rope. I'd never seen that before. So <laughs> it was absolutely amazing to me. But then we got in the building and it had an elevator. That was crazy. Like, what the heck is going on? Like, so all of these things. Now, the elevator was weird because it also had this funny smell. I turned, I figured out, found out later it was pee, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which a lot of New York smells like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had that part, but then the other part that hit us right away was um, something we never dealt with either was being, you know, extremely poor, having no money, and the violence. Um, never seen anything like it. 
And every single fight was a fight to the death. I don't care what it was over. It could be a game of skellies. If it went wrong, you know, before then I had three or four fights in my life, but they were like 30 second fights. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, you and your friend roll on the ground and get up and you're your best friends again. Uh, this was something different. This was something completely, completely different. I'd never seen winos. I'd never seen junkies like this. Um, it was just tough. It was really, really, and because we were different, we got picked on a lot. I mean, we got beat up every single day for a while. And so we finally got our own place a few months later. All four of us, by the way, lived in a room in the apartment. We got our own place. And that first winter we had, for the most part, 90% of the winter, we had no heat or hot water. Again, we had moved so much. Every time we moved somewhere, it's freshly painted. You turn on the thing that has H, the faucet, hot water comes out. The one with C, cold water comes out. So, you know, I just, we just, I, you take these things for granted, right? Right. I'm 12 years old. I'm the oldest. I say, I got to start working. I got to find something. I got to help my mom. So first thing I would do is I take paper towels and Windex. I would clean windows at stoplights or stop signs. Um, I shoveled in front of stores. I got a job at a bodega and I would just come home and give her all my money. But I knew that wasn't enough. So like almost anybody, when you, when you think of money, you think of Wall Street, no matter what, you know? So I started going by the newsstands and I got, I started getting the Wall Street Journal. And if people could go back and look at a 1975 Wall Street Journal, it is a lot different than today's. It was nothing but lines and numbers, lines and numbers, yeah. numbers. It was tough. It took me a few months to even start to figure out what the heck is going on. But I started getting it and I started to love it. And when I was 14, I told my mother, I'm going to work on Wall Street. Yes. I bought my first mutual fund when I was 17 years old. She had the cosign. And I bought my first stock when I was 18 years old, a company called MCI. So uh, it, this is something I, I wanted to do. And because of that, Martha, because of yeah. where I came from and how many people told me I couldn't do it, uh, in, including every relative, every neighbor, you know, I felt like society in general yeah. said, this is not a place for you. I called my father. I said, Daddy, I want to work on Wall Street. He said, man, I saw it on TV, nothing but a bunch of white guys, no paper in the air. Didn't see any black people there. So it's like my mission to get everyone in the stock market because, A, we're in it anyway. Mm -hmm. The more you pick up, you are in the stock market. You're spending your money. You're working for people. You are part of this economy. And I want people to take an ownership part of this economy. I want people to change their lives. Not get rich quick, uh, but change the, the trajectory of your life so that your children have a, a higher platform than you had. That's my goal. The Untold Story continues right after this. Well, you, you've achieved it and you've shared it with a lot of people. What was your first job on Wall Street? Did you go to college first or like, how did that, that I, part work? I joined the Air Force. I went to college in the Air That's Force. Right. And uh, so I was in the Air Force and I got out. And my first job was E.F. Hutton. Uh, it's a name many people... When E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. <laughs> exactly. You know, by the way, someone, not to digress too much, someone just bought the name and they're trying to repurpose it, but I know it'll never be what it was, right? At one point, it was like, yeah. well, and um, I, I can't tell you. So here, here's how life is funny. So I go into the Air Force. I end up getting married. I had a baby and got out. And so me and my wife and my daughter lived in a room in Harlem, <laughs> just like we did when we first got there. Right. And so the guy who owned the apartment, who was renting it to us, and I was doing all these job interviews and the phone rang at night, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. He says, Charles, it's for you. I come down and they tell me I got the job. Wow. <sighs> Martha, I got to tell you, 13,000 a year. 
before taxes, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, I am the man. <laughs> oh, that, I was so. That's a fantastic so story. Yeah, and so I was working in I was working in with the analytical department. I learned a lot, and people shared so much every time, everywhere I went. To you, hey kid, let me show you how this works. This is the money supply, and this is this. Is this. I was like, okay. Uh, and then I met uh, a friend. I saw someone I known years ago who's working at a small brokerage firm. and says they're hiring, but the catch is it's 100% commission. Wow. 100% commission. They'll sponsor you if you want to take the test. Oh, boy. That was a tough one, but I had to go for it. And it wasn't easy, but I, I, I made it through. Yeah, that's, that was back when they give you a phone book and say, you know, start calling, right? And um, yeah, if you can get a couple of clients together, uh, you're you're going to be able to start a business. And, um, you know, I'm so happy that you shared all of that because I, I know um, a lot of us have heard pieces of your story over the years, but I, I think that it's so important to, especially now, and, and I also love the part when you talked about... Um, how everybody taught you something at work because I have three kids in their twenties now. And the thing that we have encouraged them to do like like in the middle of COVID was just show up at work. You know, even if they're saying, don't come, just, just go. And you have to be around people who have experience. And of course you're so likable. So of course they all wanted to teach you something and to bring you under their wing that's how we learn. We don't learn sitting at home, you know, on Zoom calls, even though we're on a Zoom call right now. But we already know all this because we went right. through this. Right. And it's so important, I think, to to be there and to show up in the office. I, you know, just a quick thought on that, Charles. Like, you know, we see I, I, I talk to young people who say, oh, yeah, I'm in the office. I'm like, oh, good. That's great. You know, they're like, yeah, t- twice a week. I'm like, that is not being in the office twice yeah. a week. Yeah. You know, we were there five, six days, you know. Um, so what, what's your message on that? Well, I, first of all, I agree with you a thousand percent. Even when I came back uh, to, to Fox, you know, they told me, hey, you can you don't have to come back yet. I'm like, no, I'm coming back. Same. Uh, and, and, I couldn't wait to get back. <laughs> me either. Like, <laughs> we're still, I don't think working from good. home is such a great deal. I like to get I like to get dressed and go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, after a while, the flip flops are cute at first, but after a year, like exactly nah, I put something on my feet. I'm like, you know, uh, so you know, it's it's like even before the pandemic, Martha. Whenever I had a chance to have a chance or had a chance back then to speak with kids, uh, young adults or folks in the workforce, I always tell them, listen, if you if you have to be at work at nine, get there at eight thirty. Begin an yeah. hour at lunch, take thirty minutes. I mean, it's just and and exactly. going there, ready to learn, ready to listen. And learn, and and it's just there's nothing that can beat it. This this culture of living on a phone and looking at this long, you know what happens is the information gets smaller and smaller and smaller to where people are just making decisions based on headlines, often misleading. Yeah. And it's and they they're making personal deep opinions. You know they have opinions on politics and opinions on religion and opinions on this. Based off of TikTok videos, right? And so right. get out there. You've got to get out there and learn and experience and so that you can evolve in a way that allows you to consume everything, as much out information out there so you can make a wiser decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but it's 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 a cultural thing that uh, I think has to somehow change or I don't know if it changed naturally. I'm not sure how you change. And by the way, it's around the world. This started happening in Japan 20 years ago, 20 years ago. A professor called these young boys, because that's specifically who was really hurting, 
grass eaters. Yeah. He gave this he coined this term grass eaters. And essentially they the Japanese are famous for their work culture, just absolutely famous. Yeah. A two hour commute, work for the same company for 50 years, never miss a day. Uh, and these kids growing up looking at that saying, well, we don't want to do that. And instead, they play video games all night and sleep in the daytime. And guess what? They don't want to have sex with the, uh, they don't want to have sex. I mean, they are, they're asexual, asexual. They don't even know how to speak to the opposite sex. Japan's population is looking to go from 120 million to 80 million. It is in a yeah. horrible condition. They already they're selling more adult diapers than baby diapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and China, the president in China is trying to stop this. President Xi, he already said, hey, I'm banning. You can play games for two hours on Friday, one on Saturday. But even with that, he's having trouble. This last uh, graduation season, he told young people there, you're not just going to lay flat. That's their term for not doing anything. Well, mm-hmm. everyone's capping down, laying on the ground, laying flat. It's a cultural thing. It's around the world. And whoever can control this, whatever nations can find a way to inspire their young people will be the nations that lead for the next 200 you're years. You're so right. Yeah, it's such a great point. So um, in, the, in the time that we have left, Charles, I want to ask you, you know, and, and you have this great framework for explaining people about building the American dream in your book, Unbreakable Investor. How do you look at what's going on in the world right now? Jamie Dimon this week said that we may be heading into the most dangerous time that America has seen in decades. So tell us what you're thinking about what's happening in the world and, and how people should navigate it. Well, um, I think I, it is certainly becoming more and more dangerous. There's no doubt about that. And history tells us it's inevitable. All right. Um, just like how history tells us America being on top is not as, is not for, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think they go hand in hand. Uh, really, if you look at the last great empire, so to speak, it was the British Empire sort of spread yes. themselves to thin. Uh, and before that, I think it was Portugal or the Austrian. And anyway, Spain had a chance at it. Everyone's good about it. It's about a hundred years. And there's a lot of turmoil and upheaval that's associated with the changing of the guard, so to speak. Yes. What makes this one more dangerous in certain ways is the weaponry, right? I mean, it's mankind. It's, it's interesting. People would be shocked to know that over the last 100 years, we've had fewer casualties in the world. And in many ways, the world has become more peaceful than ever, despite the terrorism and all those sort of things. But now we are getting the ability where someone can get something off the shelf and create something that can harm someone two towns away or, it's, or a country away. Mm-hmm. So that heightens this, the danger in the sense of urgency. Uh, you know, part of it's naive, naivety on my, on my part to think that um, mankind and humankind uh, we'll find a way. But I also know that the, there are certain dangers lurking out there that may ultimately be in, uh, 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 inevitable. In other words, you know, a, a surprise attack by Hamas on these civilians and the, 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 the barbaric nature of it, you would think is something, a relic of, you know, like we don't we're, we'd never do that to each other. If, you know, that's long gone. Even if we wanted to hurt each other, we'd kill each other. Uh, so. There's just certain entities that are going to happen. Of course, we've been so focused on the China threat, a little bit less perhaps on, on, on the North, North Korea nuclear threat, and certainly Iran and the troublemaking that they persist in. You know, obviously they had a hand in this Hamas thing. So my whole thing is that we've got to stay the course, um, who we are. We have to be vigilant. We have to be smart, though. We can't be naive. We can't put our head in the sand. And maybe we should be a little bit more proactive. Uh, maybe we shouldn't 
give the enemy six billion dollars. <laughs> just say, yes. oh. just maybe yes. we could be smart about all of this. Uh, although uh, some of this stuff is is bound to happen at some point or another. And of course, the big one looming large is the, the sword of Damocles is um, China, and China goes after t- Taiwan. What's going to happen that in that moment? You know, in terms of American investors for them right now, economy, and then in the larger picture, these these international threats. Where, where, what are you advising people right now, Charles? You know, I I am a firm believer that the stock market is the greatest money making machine ever, and everyone should be a part of it. Uh, and uh, global uh, geopolitics will rear its ugly head from time to time. Uh, market crashes will rear its ugly head from time to time. Recessions, even depressions, will rear its ugly head from time to time. But we are still in the greatest economy in the world. It's a 23, 24 tr- trillion dollar economy. There are companies out there that are innovating things. We're just now starting the fourth industrial revolution. This is one of the most exciting times to be an investor. I'm even looking for a redo of the roaring 20s. We just need mm-hmm. the right person in the really? world. Everything is, everything is in place. Everything is in place except we need the right person. We need a pro-business person in the White House. We need someone who wants, remember uh, the business of America is business. You know, we need a person like that who is saying, go out there. You can do it. Raise yourself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to remove these barriers so that you are free to pursue your dreams. Uh, that's the only thing I think is missing. Like I said, this AI thing, the robot thing, the big data thing. But it's not just that. Uh, what's happening in medical farming. There's so many intriguing things that are happening that we thought about for 100 years, maybe 200 years. And um, they, they're coming to fruition. Now, I do caution. There's going to be trillions of dollars made in this stuff and trillions lost because you you have to invest in the right company. And that's what my book is about. Unbreakable Investor is about doing, knowing history, controlling your emotions, and being able to assess the companies that you want to own. You don't play the stock market. Don't worry about the symbols. Understand what you own and manage your portfolio. Let me give you a tidbit. You can't buy it and put it away. It's not Ron Papelli. Set it and forget it. Since 1926 to, ni- to 2022, 26,000 publicly traded companies. You know how many of them created all the profits, all the net profits in this market? 940. Mm. 940. And by the way, the 25 worst, the biggest losers, the 25 biggest losers in that 100-year period, six of them have come public in the last five years. So it's a very dicey time. Uh, and and it's, if you want to engage in the stock market, you need to arm yourself. But my thing is, please engage in it. Please, even if you want to give your money to a professional, know a little bit more. Don't let someone give you a couple of symbols or a couple of lines. You need to understand what's happening with your money that you've worked hard for and to somehow find a way to grow that so that others behind you can have a, you know, an easier transition to whatever their dreams might be. Well, it's a great book and I highly recommend it. And um, your personal story is so inspiring to all of us who know you. And I'm glad that you're sharing it with everybody else um, because it just it just makes it so clear that if you are willing to work hard um, and you have a dream, you can make it happen. And you are living proof of that, Charles. That's why we're um, I'm such a big fan. So I thank you so much for talking with me today and I encourage everybody to buy The Unbreakable Investor. Build the American dream in any economic cycle. 
Thank you so much, Charles. Thank you, Martha. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Thank you.